welcome to Vikings Happy Hour, where we mix our favorite beverage and talk of your Minnesota Vikings. Hello, welcome back. It's another week of Vikings Happy Hour. This week on a Thursday, not a Wednesday, so we're that much closer to the weekend. I am joined by Ryan and Tyler from Climbing the Pocket and a huge special guest, Thor Nystrom from NBC Sports Edge. He does NFL draft coverage, college football, you name it. I'm stoked to have all of you on tonight to dive into offensive line, wide receiver, two positions of need for the Minnesota Vikings. Um, But before we get into that stuff, what does everybody have as a beverage tonight? This is happy hour. uh, So if you are the DD and you're just drinking water or you have a drink of choice, uh, let's go around. I'll start. I got a vodka Sprite. This warm weather is getting me uh, hyped for a refreshing drink. I don't have a, any beer on me either. So <laughs> um, we'll toss it down the line here. Thor, what do you got? I got a White Claws and a Nalgene. Usually you, you have to hide it, you know, but like tonight I didn't realize I just could have brought the can. But anyway, <laughs> not water. <laughs> not water. Anytime on this show, you just bring the can. You don't need a, You don't need to hide it. Okay, fair enough. Good to know. Ryan? Uh, you know, I got my Angry Inch supporting local brewing here. So uh, it's actually uh, Love Potion 208, which is their hard seltzers. So uh, it's a series of that. So this week's Ginger and Lemon. Give it a try. Oh, yeah. All right. Tyler. My beer choice is from the Brewing Project. I believe they're out of, just outside of Milwaukee. It's called Ooey Gooey. It is an imperial <laughs> sour ale that is peanut butter and jelly flavored. Let me tell you. And wow. jelly. It is really good. That's Thor, next level. This, this might actually be a beer you enjoy. Next sounds, time you come yeah. over for NCAA, you got to bring some of that stuff. I will. <laughs> that sounds absolutely horrible and too sweet. Okay, <laughs> if you drink, <laughs> you drink <laughs> basic surly, I don't want to hear it. Well, that's because I wanted to try something from Minnesota that we don't get down here in Colorado. I'm drinking Uinta, whatever, Detour IPA, one of their nice ones, about, what, 10 ABV, somewhere in there, but everybody that's watching, grab your favorite beverage and welcome Thor Nystrom and our draft experts from Climbing the Pocket as we discuss your Minnesota Vikings and all the options available. Welcome, Thor. Hey, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Uh, before I, I'm, I'm still kind of stuck on this peanut butter and jelly beer for a second. So I need to just ask: uh, Is it sold in Minnesota? Can I like, go to like Total Wine and pick it up, or do I have to go all the way to Milwaukee? All right, one, um, don't go to Total Wine. Go to Top Ten Liquor. I'm, I'm going to do a little <laughs> plug for my own store there. Oh, uh, wow, an early plug. I actually uh, bought it on my way out the door. Um, we got it in a couple weeks ago. And in our market in Chanhassen, the peanut butter stuff is very hit and miss. Sometimes it just flies. Sometimes it stays. Um, this I ended up kind of staying a little bit, so I jumped on it. It's really good. It's kind of like a smoothie sour, so it's got that sugar element to it. And it's not very carbonated, which is a big plus for me because I'm not a big carbonation guy. It sounds really weird and ridiculous, and it is, but it also tastes really good. I'm all in on it, man. I want it now. So next time you're working, I might just have to make a little trip up there and, and pick some up. Um, Perfect. 
football. Let's talk football. We got Thor on. Thor, for everybody who doesn't know you, I think Ryan and Tyler and I, Tyler obviously knows you. Uh, Ryan and I have followed from afar for a while and have been super Tyler knows how good I am at NCAA 14 as well. (laughs) Yes, I do. He knows. He knows. He knows I'm not joking online. I have wanted to join that like league you have for NCAA 14. Please do. I have, do you have, PS3? I have the game. I do. And I have Join the game us. somewhere, but uh, I don't necessarily always put my games back in their case. And so I can't find the game, but I have the case. <laughs> well, well, so, okay. If you, if you find it, if you find the disc and it works whatsoever, you can do the NCAA revamp thing where you download it and then it's just on your system. You don't need the disc anymore. So even if it's like a faulty one, like as long as you can get it to go once, um, you'll be fine going forward. I'm sold. Just download. I want to we'll do talk that. after the show. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. Well, for people who don't know you, the viewers uh, on YouTube right now, and people who are going to be listening, why don't you tell people, uh, you know, what you do, Thor, uh, for NBC Sports Edge, and, and kind of your journey there. How'd you get there? Uh, so I cover the. Uh, well, I cover college football in the NFL draft, uh, and I've been there for I've been there for a long time now. I've been there for so long; it used to be called Roto World. Um, <laughs> um, that that will be a funny joke someday. Uh, but yeah, I man, I started there, oh man, twelve years ago or so. And actually, it was it's funny because the reason I started at NBC was a was a local connection. What what happened was. I was uh, um, coming out of undergrad at Kansas. I got a job as an intern at MLB.com. So for one season, this was in 2008. So for that season, I, I covered the Twins like from my graduation date on. So basically from mid-May on, moved right from Lawrence to Minneapolis and started doing that. And then I did that through the end of their season. Um, and I, you know, doing like I was covering every home game basically is like the deal. You, like you don't travel, but like you do the home games. And you get really lucky when the opposing beat writer doesn't show up because then you get to cover the opposing team. Um, So that was like the funnest times of being an MLB.com intern. Anyway, uh, so I I got done with that season. And then, like, of course, the journalism industry was tanking, which was a delight for someone just getting out of J school. Um, So I I applied to one graduate school on on a lark, mostly to get my parents off my back about living in the basement. And I got into it like... I, I got into that, the, the one that I applied to that basically a week, within a week of when I got this job at, at NBC or at Roto World. Um, and the, the, again, the reason I got it probably was because the guy who put the listing out was, do you guys know Aaron Gleeman? Yeah. Oh, I love Gleeman. Yeah. So Aaron Gleeman used to work at Roto World and, you know, he was a, I, I didn't even know him from Roto World necessarily. First and foremost, like I knew him from his blog, AaronGleeman.com. Like I'd been reading that thing like since I was, I mean, I shouldn't say since I was a kid because I'll make Gleeman seem way older than me when he's like actually like two years older than me. Um, but anyway, I, I've been reading that for like a really long time and we communicated like a little bit. And then he, of course, read my work uh, on MLB.com just because he's focused on the twins or at least at that time he was solely focused on the twins. So he, he vacuumed up all the coverage. And fortunately enough for me, um, he did. So, you know, while he had this other job and uh, he um, solicited applications for part-time baseball jobs uh, at Roto world, like doing the blurbs and stuff, game day blurbs. Um, And so I applied and 
Um, I was lucky enough to get the job. Like I said, I, it, probably because he knew he, he just read me for like, you know, six months before that. So I, I was probably super lucky about that. But anyhow, that, that, that's how I got my foot in the door. And then I, I did that part-time baseball through graduate school. Um, I, I taught in China the next year, like in rural China. Um, and I still did that job. Um, the the NBC job. Yeah. I, um, the, the, the worst shift that, well, I I never know if, if I, if if in the past, can I call it Roto world or do I have to call it NBC sports edge always? No, I'm not sure. But anyway, like, (laughs) um, the, the worst shift there at at my workplace is the uh, West coast baseball games. Cause they're on, you know, like baseball, it's such a long season. Um, and there's West coast games like every night, um, and you know, if you're in the central time zone, like we are, uh, it's a nine Oh five, uh, start PM. And if you're in the Eastern time zone, it's a, it's a 10 PM, uh, start. Well, anyway, then you'd have to watch the games for your shift and then you'd have to write them up afterwards, you know, write Like four or five blurbs on each game. And if, you know, some nights there's like four or five games. So, you know, and then if one, God forbid, like, you know, like a, a Dodgers against the Rockies game goes into like 15 innings. <laughs> You'd be up until like th- th- there was a couple nights in in grad school where I was up until like there was one hour where I was up to like four a.m. because one game went into like the eighteenth inning. Like at at one point, like in the thirteenth inning, I just dozed off and I woke up like in the fifteenth inning. I was like, whoa, whoa, I'm gonna get fired, and the game was still going. <laughs> um, but anyway, like I did that in China because the clock was flipped. So I would teach in the mornings and then I would like have my you know lunch at like the faculty. Uh, cafeteria or whatever, because I, I didn't have to say a Chinese word to acquire that food, which is great because it was more of like a line. Um, and then, you know, I would go back to my apartment or whatever that they provided for me. And at that time, it, you know, it'd be like a noon or one or whatever. And in the States, it would be, uh, you know, tw- it would be midnight or 1 a.m. Uh, Central time. So like the timing worked perfect. I could just go and blurb the game then. And then uh, I could take an afternoon nap. And then I was, you know, ready to do whatever I wanted to do that evening, uh, which was generally, by the way, playing NCAA 2014. Because one of my luxury items I brought, it's like, you know, Survivor. You know, when you used to be able to bring one luxury, the TV show, you got to bring one luxury item. My luxury item to China, which I had to tow through all the security checkpoints because I, I didn't check it. I, I brought it in my, my uh, backpack was my PlayStation 3. So that I could play NCA 14, which turned out to be the last game that was uh, disseminated, you know, in that in that series or whatever. But that year I was in China it was 2013, so that was that game had just come out. So I played that game. I played 14 like into the ground until like I couldn't play the game anymore, um, and then I got you know rid of it or whatever. Stopped playing for a couple of years. Did that I to bring this thing whole my soliloquy full circle? Uh, <laughs> that I started playing again, uh, you know three, four years ago because the online community, whatever. And now I run all these dynasties, whatever. So yeah, anyway, <laughs> that's why, that's why. So, Oh, and the other I, five years ago, six years ago, I got switched to college football NFL draft section. So that was the other part of the NBC thing. I got switched from baseball to there, which was awesome because I college football is my first love. Um, and I've always had a weird obsession with the NFL draft, even though I, I like college football. I, I suppose it's just an extension of that. Um, and then also like being able to, you know, even though like uh, I'm not good at math, but like, you know, you, you get jealous of like the people that are able to like, you know, predict the stock market or, you know, like do them, you know, like be in their spreadsheets and like, you know, tell the future or whatever. This is this is like a writer's one opportunity to be able to do that is doing like NFL draft work or, for instance, uh, handicapping college football games. 
Um, so those, those are things like that I really enjoy um, because you get quantifiable data coming back to you, whether you're succeeding or not, but you don't get fired for it. You know, if I'm wrong, you know, which is the <laughs> difference between me and an NFL decision maker. So. Absolutely. Well, that's a hell of a journey. Um, but I, I think, like I said, I love your work. I know these other two do. Um, so I'm excited to pick your brain tonight. All of you. Um, I don't know a lot about these offensive line prospects. I don't know a lot about these wide receiver prospects other than like the big names. You know, we got Bateman here, um, you know, Jamar Chase and, and some other offensive tackles. Um, so let's dive into that. I, I know I was going to touch on, on kind of the Dakota Dozier signing. I think we all agree that that's crap, but it's more just a depth move. Uh, we don't need to spend any more time on, on Mason Cole as well. Let's get right into these draft prospects. Um, and, and I think the first one that we should talk about is a name that's linked to the Vikings quite a lot by their fan base, uh, Rashawn Slater. Um, you know, I, I know that with San Francisco trading up in the draft, uh, there's, there's belief that maybe with all these quarterbacks going top 10, that a guy like Slater could fall to the Vikings at 14. Um, so I'll, I'll hand it off to you, Thor. Tell me about Rashawn Slater. Why should Viking fans like him? Do you think he's a fit here? Do you think he'll fall to us potentially? Um, tell me what you got. That's, that's a lot to unpack. Um, I'll start with, uh, Rashawn Slater himself. Um, he is a fit. Um, and it's, it's interesting, like, uh, you know, the difference between doing like a Viking specific draft discussion and doing like a national one, because, when you're doing a national one, it's sort of like stacking your board. Like it's a difference between me and like Rick Spielman. Rick Spielman actually has real life stakes, you know, in the moment or whatever. Uh, but he also has a team, you know, a roster. He has perceived holes, et cetera. You know, he has a budget, whatever, um, you know, and, he, and schemes, you know, offensive and defensive schemes. So like there, there's, you know, these these defined criteria to, to stack your board or whatever that that I, I don't have. Um, and so like, uh, but the, the, the cool thing about talking about a team specific one is that, um, you're able to define the criteria a little bit. And so you can be more specific. So like in a case of Slater, there's, there's offensive linemen that the Vikings are, are, they might not tell the media that they disqualify them, but they're essentially disqualified from their board because they're not athletic enough because whether they stay on it or not, they'll be ranked low enough that it won't matter. Cause they're going to, they know they're going to go way above them. The Vi- we, we all know this, the Vikings fetishize super duper athletic offensive linemen um and they're willing to take the the risk they're willing to roll the dice um there's many instances of bombs there you know or you know the times where they they've just been flat out wrong i mean like we can go through like the whole list um and there's also times where they have been right uh Brian O'Neill is, is the one that's always brought up with with that. And most the, the jury's still out of Bradbury and O'Neill, et cetera. But anyway, the, the whole reason that I'm saying that is is Slater's a legitimate fit here, um, not only because of the the zone scheme, uh, which he'd be a fine fit in, but also just like, um, you know, in a, um, uh, 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 a pragmatic way, I, I suppose you would say it, in that the Vikings, like, Right now, this is either a good thing or a bad thing. Like when you're heading into the draft and you have some draft capital where you have multiple holes, but you can like switch people around in there. You know, you have like some some interchangeable pieces potentially um, where the Vikings need uh, two offensive line starters right now. I don't think that's an exaggeration. Um, and so, you know, you would hope that you can acquire them 
uh, in the the draft, at least one of them or whatever. And the the way that it's it's configured right now is you have O'Neal at right tackle and you have Ezra Cleveland, I believe, a right guard. Um, but O'Neal, there's no reason to believe that he couldn't play left tackle if you wanted him to, or that Ezra Cleveland couldn't play right tackle if you wanted him to, um, you know, or, you know, put, you know, draft a prospect to play right tackle, left tackle. You, you can, you can do the the pieces how you want, but like with, for instance, Christian Darisaw, his, his uh, position versatility is probably uh, less for, I mean, for sure than, than a guy like uh, Rashawn Slater, where you can bring Slater into camp. The, the one question about his profile is, you know, where exactly will he be best to play? But there's no question that he has legitimate five position starting NFL versatility. It's not theoretical. It's it's he's going to succeed um, and, and, and probably be a very, very high end starter at one of these five positions. Obviously, it becomes more valuable the further down the spectrum you are. You know, it's like in baseball, like when when the guy who's a, like A-Rod, like A-Rod in his prime when he was a shortstop, like with the Rangers or whatever, when you get that, or, or the Twins, I suppose, is a more topical one locally. Like when you have a bat like that, a catcher, you know, it, it just elevates your lineup so much more because you basically have a cheat code, the discrepancy in your lineup between what the, the catcher's, you know, OPS, or I'm not a baseball guy, the, the acronym, but OPS against the other guys. Like you head into every game with an advantage just because of that. Um, or, you know, or whatever. Uh, but anyway, getting back to Slater, like you can go into camp there if you're the Vikings. And it seems like the Vikings are, are content with O'Neal at right tackle and maybe more or less content with riding forward with Cleveland at, at right guard. But, um, you know, I, I think that they would be very cool with the idea of a guy that could come in where they could, with their boots on the ground, check out, you know, Slater, who, again, no one knows what his best position is going to be. And then, O'Neal, like how would he be at left tackle if 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 Slater's the you know going to be the best at right tackle for the Vikings in their scheme, you know can, will O'Neal be comfortable at, at right tackle? Um, if Slater's uh, indeed a better interior fit than on the outside, um, can Ezra Cleveland handle right tackle? Whatever, like you could you could do all those moving things. Whereas with a couple other tackle prospects in this this class, it would be more delineated. You'd be more boxed in where this kid has to succeed here or here because we can't move the, the, the pieces in that way. Um, so, so that's a, a positive. And again, he's, he, he's a fit. And then just as far as like him as a player, like he was, I, you know, the number two, I mean, he was, he was the second most dominant offensive lineman in, in 2019 behind Penny Sewell, um, you know, and he played left tackle at Northwestern. Um, and he, one, one thing that you like for a attack, like a left tackle prospect who's sawed off like he is, that doesn't, cause he, I think he has 33 inch arms, which is just, right at the threshold um and and with basically with Slater's uh, height and his wingspan um it's it's basically like right around league average for like guard or, or a little bit above league average for guard uh but he, for both he's a little bit below what you would like at, at tackle so you have length issues which which with longer defenders they can get into your pads that, that's the issue there you know it's like in UFC, UFC that's the reason why they show uh reach or whatever, because it actually matters. You know, if, if one guy has a has a four or five you know inch wingspan advantage, it's an enormous advantage. But you know, f- you know, football fans they don't think as much about that. Uh, but it's the same sort of thing. Um, but like for a player like that, uh, what you like to see is that against elite competition, and by elite competition specifically, we're talking about guys that have like trump card athletic, you know, tr- you know, athletic trump cards. I, I suppose is the way that you would put it. Like. Um, guys that have like 
either upper upper tier uh, movement or strength or both or whatever. Um, and that that guy can shut him down on the perimeter in pass protection. Cause that, that is your biggest concern in the NFL. Slater did that uh, through a procession of them. Uh, Chase Young, uh, Chase Winovich. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think some of the other, Oh, the, the kid at a uh, uh, Willicus from Michigan state. Um, the, he, there was a procession of them that, that he shut down or that he he gave fits to that other, you know, tackles in that conference did not. Um, and so, like, his game is going to translate just fine to guard. Like, you know, I, I don't think there's any question that he's going to be a Pro Bowl interior player, if, if not a tackle. But there's more, you know, value. Again, you know, going back to the baseball thing, if, if you have A-Rod's bat at first base or DH, it's not as valuable as if you have it at shortstop. Um, it would be preferable to the drafting team to extract the most value out of him if he is a left tackle. And again, the Vikings happen to have uh, an opening there. Um, so they, they, they're they one of the few teams that could legitimately audition him there and let him fail down the spectrum uh, in practices if they wanted to. Uh, I, I think it's a great fit. Y- your other question, I, I hope that I've addressed all of them. I, I think I'm on the last <laughs> one right now. Uh, but like, w- will he get there? I think it's about a coin flip right now. I, I, I do some of these like, you know, live mock drafts or whatever, where it's like me and then another guy. And then it goes like, pick, 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 pick. Um, And I did two within the last week. And in one of them, Slater went above the Vikings, but it was only like a pick above. Um, I remember because I got upset with my colleague Hayden Winks when he did it. I I was super (laughs) upset because I had the Vikings pick and I wanted Slater so bad at that point. Um, And then in my other mock, he fell to the Vikings. And I believe I I had the Vikings again in that one because I I rig it. So I, I, you know, if it's odd or even, depending on where the Vikings pick, I I make sure that I'm on on that side or whatever. But uh, I I, I believe in that one Slater got there. So like you're the the, the sort of point that you were setting up initially is like is correct, which is the more quarterbacks, you know, specifically that are above the Vikings, the better. Um, the, the the dream scenarios that five of them are. Mac Jones would be the, the magic name. Like if you're a Vikings fan, um, you need to root really hard for Mac Jones in the pre-draft process because that's a real thing. Um, and you need to root really hard that this stuff is true because that's one other guy above you that you will not take um, that's going to drop one other guy uh, down the board. So I, I would put it at about a coin flip that, that Slater gets there if they don't, don't do a trade as the board is right now. Um, and I think it's a slam dunk pick if he does. Yeah, and to your point, if he if he doesn't make it uh, to pick fourteen, I know that there's a lot of fans, it, myself included, uh, to maybe trade back, get get a day two pick, a second round draft pick, and go after uh, some other kind of tackles. But if we trade back, another name I've heard about is the Vera Tucker guy. I think he's out of USC, right? Um, yeah, yes, yeah, and he's Veritas is fine uh, for me. He's clearly a tier below uh, Slater on, in a couple different metrics. I mean, number one, uh, and some people disagree with me on this, uh, but I don't believe that Veritas is a tackle in the NFL. He's certainly not a left tackle. Uh, you couldn't play him there. And the the reason is again going back to the, there's certain things with with different prospects at different positions that you can isolate and you can say, well, if, if that one thing is problematic enough. I can't like you to such and such a degree. Like a good example is like Drew Locke's discrepancy uh, against good competition to bad competition and with pressure and in clean pockets, et, et cetera. Um, and with um, uh, in, 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 in that case, uh, I lost my train of thought. Um, who, who, who was I, who was I, who was I going out about before? Oh, 
Vera Tucker, uh, he got worked by Kayvon Thibodeau uh, in, in, in the Pac-12 title game. Like in the first five games of, of the regular season, he did really well. So, so what happened with him was he was the starting guard for, for USC. I, I think left guard, I, I forget. But then yeah. uh, uh, left guard. And then Austin Jackson, the, the first round pick, he left. But Vera Tucker had won USC's Offensive Lineman of the Year in 2019. And so USC decided to try him at, at left tackle. In fact, I, I think it's one of the reasons that Vera Tucker even played, period, in 2020, because he initially was going to opt out. And Clay Helton, like, he, he's even told this to the press, like, they lobbied him uh, to come back. And I think, uh, you know, the idea of, like, we're going to play you at left tackle this year and and sort of highlight that you can do more than people think, that was a part of, of the draw. Um, and so, the, you know, they got him back, and it was great, because, like, he played super-duper well. Like, his first five games, he, he was really, really good. But, uh, you know, again, like, for this is the similarity with with Slater is that Vera Tucker is, is a similar uh, height and and wingspan and reach whatever, um, and whereas Slater uh, did really well against NFL competition, um, that was Vera Tucker's one shot because in a lot of the other ones he was playing guys that are are not going to stay in the NFL uh, or even get any sort of look from the NFL whatsoever, um, and against Thibodeau he he got absolutely rocked like he, the the entire game. Um, it, it was not good. It was not a good showing. Um, like, I mean, multiple sacks, uh, I think six or seven pressures. Like wh- when I say bad, I mean, like bad, like, like, uh, you know, almost disqualifying bad. Um, but on, on the hey, inside, we're used to that as Viking fans. Yeah. Ain't that the truth, brother? <laughs> um, <laughs> which is why we're always talking about offensive line, uh, draft needs, you know, around this time. Um, but yeah, like, uh, you know, again, for me, like th- those things are disqualifying for me, uh, you know, in terms of playing on the outside uh, in the NFL. And there's no reason to stretch him in that way because uh, his weaknesses get uh, mitigated or masked uh, on the inside um, and his strengths, uh, most of them play up. So um, he's a guy that you want on the inside. But again, like for me, he's he's a, a, a drop down, um, like when we're talking about like the difference between him and, and Slater, for instance. So. Talking tiers here, would you say that Slater and Sewell are on the tier of their own or even Sewell's on his own tier and then Slater? Or who else would you put on that? I, I have Darisaw up there, but, uh, you know, what are your thoughts on him and any other names that come to mind that would, you know, be on that Slater tier for you? Yeah, I, I guess I guess I have Sewell on his own because I, I like, you know, I've, I think I put out draft rankings for five years and um, he's the best offensive lineman that I've I've done. Uh, Quentin Nelson's the only other one that, you know, that, that comes to mind, but it, you know, it's a different position. Um, and, you know, I, I think that Sewell can be, you know, if not the best left tackle in, in football, you know, one of the top two or three for a very, very long time. And that obviously has enormous value as uh, Laramie Tunsil, one, one of my favorite uh, draft day stories and, and, and memories, uh, as he <laughs> can attest that the Miami Dolphins have entirely turned their franchise around mostly because, uh, someone and from Larry Mutunsel's personal life decided to disseminate a photos of him smoking from a bong on, on draft day. It's really funny, like how the universe works like that. Like the Dolphins would still be a, I don't know if I can swear on the show, but like an S show, yeah, a poop show. Yeah. They'd be so they'd still be a shit show if 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 that hadn't happened. But now they have this war chest of picks that's going to keep like flowering out or whatever. Um, but anyway, like yeah, I think that's you know that's that's one of the differences. Tyler, there's a guy that I know you're high on. He's the tackle from Texas. I, I, the name is, escapes me right now. But sell me yeah. on him because I've seen, I've seen O-line rankings where he's not that high. But uh, 
but I trust your opinion. So I want you to tell me why you think that he would be a potential fit. Absolutely. Uh, it, the guy you're talking about is Samuel Cosme. And right now he is my offensive tackle four. Um, just for clarification, I graded Slater on the interior and I did not grade him as a tackle because I graded him where I thought he would fit best uh, projecting to the National Football League. Uh, Cosme, if you uh, follow um, Kentley Platt at MathBomb on Twitter, he does the relative athletic scores where he takes all of your athletic testing and combines it into one score. He's either going to be the first or second best tackle of all time uh, with the relative athletic score, and that's going to uh, um, factor in, like, we're talking almost 2,000 tackles. The other guy he's competing with right now is Spencer Brown out of Northern Iowa. Cosme is an absolute freak athlete, ran a 484 at 67308. Um, I really liked watching his film. Yeah, there were some issues. He had issues, uh, especially with some strength. Um, he, he also did this weird thing, and maybe Thor uh, will know a little bit more about it. He didn't attack ever in pass protection. He was always on his heels waiting for contact to come to him. And it felt like that was a Texas thing. And Texas wanted him to do that. And I thought that was really, really odd. Do you get a sense that that was a Texas thing, Thor? I don't know if I'd say a, a Texas thing. I, I think it, in some ways it speaks to like who he is as a as a player. Like you know, sometimes there's issues with him going into contact and stuff like that. Um, and and this is you know, and then in, in pass protection, like I think one of his his biggest issues is playing too high. Um, but where the ceiling gets capped for me is I don't think that's something that he's ever going to be able to fix. Because I, I think he's just one of those guys who's a little bit stiffer in his hips. Like he's he's an awesome athlete, you know. Like let, like you say, but like some guys that are awesome athletes, they're more of you know. Like it's like you know with receivers, there's some you know the, those guys that don't look like they're going as fast or like the upright runners or whatever. You know, there's just like sort of different forms of this or whatever. And uh, you know, in, in in the same way, Cosme's a good athlete. And he is, you know, and he, and he moves around well and stuff like that. But like he does play too upright and he plays with his feet too close together in pass protection. And like, you know, the good thing about him was like, you know, he was like a, I mean, he was like a, a lowly three-star recruit. He was going to go to Houston. And then Tom Herman got the Texas job and Cosby went there. And then, you know, after one red shirt year, he gained 30 pounds and, um, it turned out, you know, whether he worked himself into this or whether this was just there, that he was like a really, really good athlete. And he turned himself into a really good uh, football player. I, like, it, you know, in, in the big 12, you don't face as many of the freaks as for instance, you know, edge freaks, you know, um, uh, in particular that you do, for instance, in the, in the SEC, they just don't uh, send as many to the NFL, whatever. Um, and in Cosme's case, like what I noted is like, uh, you know, again, going back to, you know, I, I mentioned this with quarterbacks, but like discrepancy in play against, um, you know, average competition or slightly above average competition and then like really, really good competition. And th the way that I see Cosme is like, I, I just think he is what he is like. Um, you know, again, like I, I don't think the playing too high thing uh, or some of those issues like, you know, finding con getting into contact, whatever, uh, some of the lurching stuff. I don't think that gets corrected because I, I just think that's the way his body's built. Um, but like, um, you know, that being said, um, like, you know, this is a kid that works very, very hard. Um, you know, technically speaking, he's you know, he's, he's pretty good. You know, outside some people would claim that his technique and, in, in you know, and in pass protection is not good. Um, but I think that that is more of something that's inherent to him. Um, I guess that the, the only reason that that matters, the descriptor matters is because one, you can, you could theoretically improve, uh, whereas the other, you can't. Um, and so again, for me, even though Cosme, like 
he was really, really good over a long period of time at Texas. Texas threw the ball a lot. Um, they played, you know, good teams, whatever. Um, but like the those limits, and uh, <clears throat> one that I haven't even mentioned, I don't think yet, is 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 a reach uh, uh, disadvantage. I, I think his arms are thirty three inches, which it happens to be the exact same uh, arm length as as Rashawn Slater. Um, so like you know, even though he's a taller guy, there's not as 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 you know long of a reach. Which again, like, why does that matter? Because when, you know, specifically, I mean, it matters in both, like in, in pass protection, you're trying to keep your guy on the outside, you know, you don't want him to get into your pads because then he can do whatever, I mean, it, it, in the run game, of course, as well. But like, if you can keep him on the outside, you know, and, and you can touch him first, again, going back to the, the UFC analogy, um, it, it's just a big advantage. Um, and so uh, to, to wrap this up, I, I think that the only time that you saw this manifested with Cosme was when he faced really, really good competition. Um, and, and in his case, uh, it was it was Kayvon Thibodeau or not not I'm sorry they, that that was in the the other days it was with Chase on um, mm-hmm. like you know LSU in the in the opener in 2019 like when we didn't know that the LSU was awesome yet and they happened to play Texas in that that opener or whatever like Cosme didn't acquit himself very well in that game and again like he did very well you know most of the rest of his career and against most of the rest of his opponents but like. Um, when there's that discrepancy, like once you hit a certain mountain peak and then you get to the next tier of player and then your your play really drops off. What's concerning is like you, you start to get the idea of like, do, are you not going to be able to make adjustments to your game or make improvements to your game to ever sort of address that uh, discrepancy in, in in this case in, in, in movement or in power or whatever? Like, are, are you ever going to be able to prevent a guy like Chase on? Uh, from getting into your pads and or just, you know, uh, you know, getting your feet crossed up with, with movement because you're playing too high and your feet are playing, you know, are too close together. Um, so, so that's that's the way that I see him. But because of his athletic profile, um, you know, if, if the Vikings aren't going to move uh, Cleveland to uh, tackle in a similar way to Cleveland, um, you know, I, I think Cosme right now is probably ranked just about where uh, Cleveland at this time last year or yeah, last year. Right. When he, when he came in, yeah. they're right around the same spot in, in, in terms of the board. And Tyler was mentioning, like, in terms of athletic profile, uh, that's what you look for, um, you know, in, in, in terms of the movement skills, stuff like that. Um, he seems like a, a, an offensive lineman that the Vikings would, would keep on their board and potentially even elevate uh, because of that athletic profile. And, and maybe even specifically more so if they feel that, yeah, because I don't, I don't have access to this information, but like if they feel that Cleveland's, uh, you know, a, a long term guard only. You know, again, like I don't know, but like um, if if they feel like that, they're they're going to be more inclined to take a pure tackle, uh, which Cosme probably is. Um, and so, anyway, I, I I do think he's someone for Vikings fans to keep an eye on because of those reasons. I want to yeah. touch on another uh, name that that you mentioned a little bit ago, Thor uh, Christian Darisaw, out of Virginia Tech. Um, can you tell me a little bit more about him uh, and and how he projects? Is he is he kind of in the same? realm is like Slater and uh and Cosme like we were just talking about or is he in a different tier um well he's he's above Cosme um he's probably pretty close to Slater but again it's it's sort of depending on what your flavor is um you know whereas Slater is the the guy that can play any um Darisaw I I would I think his best fit is at right tackle I suppose you could maybe try him at guard but like it, it it's unnecessary because he doesn't have uh, one of the, those things in his profile that that nullifies it. So again, it it, it would be you'd just be sapping him of a, a value. Uh, Darisa, I believe, was the uh, PFF's highest graded uh, Power Five tackle last season, um, and he was number two to only Brady Christensen. Funny enough, Brady, Brady Christensen was awesome last year. <clears throat> 
And then he tested great too. Is is you know that that but that was a, it wasn't the PFF grade wasn't a surprise that the testing was a bit, anyway. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, like with 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 Darisaw, like um, like and his story is really interesting. Like of a of a kid that was just totally overlooked in in recruiting, he took the one Power Five uh, scholarship offer that he had, and he went to a prep school for a year. And then he showed up there, you know, where, you know, again, like he was just this low three-star recruit that had to go to prep school and he locked down their, their left tackle job for three years um, and was awesome. You know, I mean, like he shut down everyone in, in the ACC um, run blocking specifically, like he's just awesome. Uh, but for one of those uh, types of guys in pass protection, he has uh, acquitted himself very well over a long period of time. Like he's a kid that, that works hard. Like you can see it in his, you know, the, the progression of like how, you know, much better he got year by year by year. Um, some people don't think that he plays with enough fire on the field. I, I, that, that confuses me uh, watching him. Uh, like the, the thing that jumped out to me was it, it's actually funny, like how I, um, you know, came about Christian Darius, I, I suppose was, it was actually because, uh, so I'm a, I'm, you know, I went to Kansas. I, I don't know if I mentioned that before or if people know that, but like I went to, to University of Kansas. And so, like, I'm one of the 15 remaining University of Kansas uh, football fans. And so uh, I, I watched a kid named Cleo Herbert for several years at Kansas. He, he was the backup running back to, to Puka Williams. Uh, and then he, he transferred as a graduate uh, in 2020 and landed at Virginia Tech. And uh, Kansas's backup running back who, you know, a backup running back on all these teams that had, you know, one and two wins or whatever, losing to these FCS teams and Coastal Carolina every year, all this, this sort of stuff. Turns into a stud at, at Virginia Tech. He was he was the first thousand yard rusher in in Justin Fuente's uh, entire tenure uh, there, which is at this point is like eight or nine years or whatever. Uh, and a big part of the reason, you know, so I started watching for that reason is like, you know, I'm mostly like to hate watch, I suppose, like as a Kansas fan, just like because like we we have all these guys that like Jamar. This is an aside, but Jamar Chase was originally a Kansas Jayhawk football commit, believe it or not. Um, and then they lost his, his commitment, of course. But, like, when you watch Cleo Herbert's uh, tape, you know, or, or in the moment when you were just watching Virginia Tech, uh, what you would notice is, like, the left side of the line was always just getting shoved way back. Uh, and you'd be like, who's that kid? You know, he's just, like, um, just resetting the line of scrimmage on the left, like, every single time or whatever. Um, and so like he, you know, he w- w- offensive line play doesn't always jump off the screen in the moment. Um, but he was one of those kids like it sort of did um, because, again, like you you had Kansas's backup, you know, a guy that went from being a backup running back at Kansas to being like like, the, you know, one of the better running backs in the entire nation last year. And um, and, and and no slight to Herbert. Herbert's a good uh, running back prospect. I rank him in the top 10. But like uh, Christian Darisaw made Khalil Herbert a lot of money with his run blocking last season. Ryan, I know you had a question, so. Yeah, well, we've talked about all these first-round offensive tackle prospects. Um, there, there's a chance, obviously, we might go edge. We might uh, maybe one of those top three receivers will fall to us, which would be really juicy, and, and we'll take one of them. But uh, what, what about, you know, and I, we don't need to go over a lot of them, but what's one offensive tackle prospect that maybe day two, early day three, that really has caught your eye. You mentioned Brady Christensen a bit. Um, so maybe let's avoid him, but you know, I know Tyler loves Deontay Smith. Um, there's James Hudson out there. Um, you know, you know, there's a few different guys, you know, names that pop up. What's a mid round, you know, late, you know, day two, early day three prospect that would be interesting to you. For the, for the Vikings at tackle. Yep. Yep. Or or guard. I mean, I guess if you if that plan of Ezra moving to right tackle and and O'Neal going to left tackle pans out, but 
Yeah, in the so if it if it's day two um, for me, it's it's got to be Christensen. <clears throat> um, Tyler might disagree with me there, but like, uh, well, I, I suppose if, if if Dylan Radens fell there, um, you know, he he's a great fit as well. Uh, but you know, there, there's some guys that just aren't aren't fits there. Uh, and the tackle class is like uh, packed more at the top there, especially for a team like the Vikings that uh, has such clearly delineated tastes, you know, in 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 that at that position or whatever. Uh, if if like so for me if if it's going to be the tackle it's either got to be in uh, round one preferably or round two at, at worst uh, the interior class you could probably get away a little bit more uh, into round three and four with picking a guy where he potentially could take one of those two uh, starting spots right away um, and I, I I do think that there's a couple of fits because I you know the th- this interior class there there are some like athletic kids there that would that would absolutely be fits with. Uh, what the Vikings do. Um, one one name, uh, Jalen Moore from Western Michigan, who is a, a collegiate tackle. I think he's headed inside uh, at the next level. And I think some of his limitations that uh, hindered him on the outside in the Mac and like he sort of gets embarrassed on or how would you say like he doesn't acquit himself well on tape because he, he's getting schooled by a guy that's not going to play in the NFL. Uh, but some of those things aren't going to be, you know, it's, it's another thing going back to the thing of like uh, you move that guy inside and the weaknesses that that led to uh, him getting schooled by by kids not going to play in the NFL, they're going to be mitigated or, or just outright taken away uh, on the inside. And he's a very athletic kid. He's a mobile kid, uh, does well at the second level, et cetera. Um, and so, like his his issues on pass protection, uh, you know, a left tackle, and you know, whatever, they're not going to be issues if, if if you move him inside. That would be one guy. And I would also just say, in in general. Um, well, actually, I'll, I'll, t- I'll toss out two other names on the interior just because I'm here. Sidarius Hutcherson uh, from South Carolina, super athletic kid. Um, Vikings fans probably won't like him because he's like the most extreme uh, version of this, of like the ball of clay guy that, they, you know, he's sort of like Beavers where it's like a super fluid athlete, but who just remains really, really raw. He didn't play offensive line until he got to, to South Carolina. Um, and so like, and his, his technique is still, he, he got better, but like, um, he still needs a lot of work, specifically in pass protection. Um, but like, you know, in terms of like a guy that, that moves uh, really well, like in just explosive, like, you know, North South off the snap, um, you know, he, he's a guy that could fit. Uh, and I think another name to toss out is Royce Newman uh, from Mississippi. Um, another guard that's like super athletic, um, so athletic that Jim Nagy was like tweeting about him like a long time ago. Like, you know, you got to watch out for this kid. He moves really well and all this sort of stuff. And, um, you know, size adjusted Raz uh, Newman. He he tested as over an 85th percentile uh, athlete at the position as well. Which um, you're certainly meeting the Vikings thresholds there. You're not going to get uh, disqualified on their board. I think Pat Elfline's the last unathletic offensive lineman the Vikings are always going to you know ever going to take. Like he he was like you know after the Elfline thing, they're like we're done. Um, and so like you know the yeah, it, for me like you know looking at guys that the Vikings could target, you you almost have to be above at the offensive line position, you almost have to be above a certain athletic uh, threshold and, uh, you know, to even be considered for them um, as a fit for their system. And those, those two guys are guys that will be available um, in the mid rounds and, you know, maybe even end up to around five, who knows, maybe even six, one of them um, that, that potentially, you know, again, like if you haven't taken that second offensive lineman, I would, I would, I would urge the Vikings to take two in their first four picks if if nothing else. Uh, But if you haven't, those are two guys that you, you could take, that would certainly be system fits. And then you just do what you always do with, the, you know, the Vikings always do with off, offensive linemen, which is you take the the super athletic kid and then you, you rock it and you just 
hope it works. Tyler, Ryan mentioned a name that that I saw your face light up. Uh, can you can you tell me about who this guy is? Deontay Smith, the uh, left tackle at East Carolina. Uh, one of the really interesting things about him is in 2019, his listed playing weight was at 274. Played one game this year, got hurt, went to the Senior Bowl, weighed in in the 290s. Then at his pro day a couple days ago, weighed in at 305. And when you look at the man, as far as what his body composition is, it's not bad weight. Yeah, like when you think of oh, like Cameron Cameron Dancer's pro day was last year, just so he he could have some mass on him, he just had bad weight. Like just ate a bunch of McDonald's cheeseburgers to try and gain some pounds. Like no, Deontay Smith put in the work, and you can tell that his body composition is good. And when I watch the tape, it's he's he's just doing a fantastic job of keeping the guys in front of him. He's got uh, adequate movement skills, and I think uh, I haven't had a chance to look at his Raz yet, but his athletic testing wasn't poor. I don't know if it's going to necessarily meet the thresholds, and obviously uh, if you want those thresholds, Arif Hassan just re-released uh, his articles that he does every couple years talking about what those threshold kind of metrics are and uh, what players have and haven't met them in certain positions. Uh, I just I love the fact that Deontay Smith is going to be available in the round three, round four range. He's a really good pass protector. He's He has flexibility to play inside. And I think if you're going to draft that guy as a developmental piece and kind of what the Vikings are going to ask him to do right away, he'd be able to be kind of that sixth offensive lineman, play inside and out. Um, I don't think he'd be ready day one, but I think give uh, a year or two, he could develop into a really solid starter for the Purple. And he's probably my favorite player in this draft class. Wow. I For, for your sake, then, I hope we take him. Yeah, me too, because last year was Jason Strobridge, and now he's a Dolphin. (laughs) Um, Ryan, I feel like I haven't heard a lot from you, um, and I know you know your stuff as well. Are there any offensive linemen that we haven't touched on that that you kind of want to shed some light on? And if not, maybe maybe you want to toss us over to the wide receiver group and we can get started there. Yeah, we could probably go receivers. Uh, you know, another name that's going to be popular amongst Vikings fans, I think, in the first round is Tevin Jenkins. Uh, again, he tested even better athletically than I anticipated him uh, to test uh, based on tape that I watched. Um, again, I still can't get the image of uh, Ronnie Perkins, uh, you know, destroying him during that Bedlam game. So I have a hard time uh, thinking that he's going to be a great fit for us, but I need to take that out of my brain because um, – you know, it's not a good look, but, um, outside of that, you know, like I said, uh, like Thor was saying, actually, it's there, there's a lot of talent, I think athletic talent in this draft, um, that we can take a look at, but, um, I think we really do need to focus on, you know, day one, if not second round, if we do decide to trade back, um, another offensive lineman that I like, again, tested way more athletically than people anticipated was Creed Humphrey. Again, he's not going to be a tackle for you. He's going to be a, uh, probably a center actually in the NFL, but you know, I bet he can flex out the guard. Um, and we aren't a sure thing at center. I mean, great. I mean, Garrett Bradbury, I don't think can play any other position, but he's been awful. Uh, so I know there's all this talk that, you know, well, he's had incompetent guards at his sides. I understand understand that I get it but he's been bad so we may look at you know some competition there if we bring Creed Humphrey in and and think that he might be a better fit at that center position um but yeah outside of that uh yeah I'd love to talk uh receivers just because receivers is something I hadn't focused a ton on and I know Thor's you know done a lot of work there so um yeah I'd love to learn a little bit more about uh our hometown guy 
uh, Rashad Bateman. Do you think that, you know, if we traded back, do you think that's somebody we would consider in round one to kind of flush out the rest of this receiving core? That would sort of surprise me just because, you know, of course, you're you're in some ways hamstrung by uh, your draft equity. And, you know, like every, you know, it's sort of like you guys ever watch that movie uh, Butterfly Effect with uh, Ashton Kutcher or whatever. Yeah. It, it's it, it actually it, it's like a it's one of the best terrible movies. You know, you love like the good, <laughs> bad movies like that one for sure is. Uh, but like, you know, it's like this idea that like one decision like changes the future, whatever BS. Uh, but like, you know, in, in, in this case, like. Uh, traded the second rounder for the the edge guy that, that didn't play here for very long, and then you trade him for a, a late third round pick. Um, that that kind of hurts here, you know, because again, it goes back to my thing of like with the the tackles there at the top, um, you know, and then the the, the class sort of drops off. So you know, with regards to Rashad Bateman, I love Rashad Bateman. Like I I, I think that he's nationally, I I think that he's underrated, and I don't always think that uh, with 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 Gopher prospects. In fact. Uh, I got into a fight with a Gopher employee uh, the past couple of weeks because he thought I was being too critical of of, of Gophers, which is funny because I'm like I'm banging the drum for Rashad Bateman every day. Like, stop it. Um, but but anyway, like I, I I love him and I and I do think that Bateman would be a really good fit on on, on the receiving core because you know similarly to the uh, uh, offensive like uh, uh, offensive uh, philosophy wise like. The Vikings, the way that, and again, this is like a thing that you could either look at as, as good or bad, you know, like for the draft, it's good because uh, you have options. But like in, in terms of just overall an indictment of the the way the team's been built, it, it's sort of bad. But like you, you think about like the um, receiver thing, like that, in my opinion, Irv Smith is not a long term option at inline. Uh, I, I think that he is he's he's a he's an age back. And so I think like you need to decide. Uh, are you going to go forward uh, taking a third receiver off of the field so that you can play Irv Smith? Um, they need to decide that as an offense. Um, and so, th- you know, that's a decision before, you know, even this begins. But like, um, you know, even though, again, like I, I, I really like Bateman and I think you get a slight discount on him. So I think, you know, your idea of trading down, you could absolutely do that and you could recoup value um, and you could get value back with Bateman. It would make the receiving core, one of the best in the NFL. Cause I mean, Bateman's a true uh, X receiver. He's, he's a true number one. I don't think he's going to be the best one in the NFL, uh, but the way he runs, runs routes um, it like his combination of feet um, and then sort of play strength. Um, and then, you know, ball skills once, once the ball gets there, but like the, the feet and the, the, the way he's fortified. And, and again, the strength, it, it makes it impossible for guys to stop him off the line which becomes important because he's one of the better route runners you're going to see coming out of college. Um, and a part of that is just like he, he understands really well. You know, some guys are, 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 are crafty. He has, he has that for sure. Um, but his footwork is just so good. Um, and, you know, it might go back to his days as a basketball player. I'm not sure. Um, it, that's really what it seems like because it's, it's sort of, you know, I talk about like Trump, Trump card skills. Um, Rashad Bateman's footwork at that that size, you know, on the outside as a receiver, um, it's it's really really upper upper uh, tier or whatever. Um, so you can't stop him off the line, and then it it's really really hard to stay with him because of the the route running. It, it doesn't even matter, so, you know. Some people are like, oh, he's not he's not as athletic. It's like, bro, like uh, if if someone just destroys you in in their route, like like just watch Bateman, like he gets guys turned around, like literally. 
uh, turned around because of the, the route he's run. Like he fools them so bad. They'll make the wrong cut. And and to get back to him, the, the, their most efficient path is it's a literal, literally pirouette. Um, and like, you know, you don't see that with a lot of route runners. Devonta Smith has a couple of those on, on in his film catalog, but uh, most guys, you don't get that. Uh, but even when it's not issues of just like outright clowning or, or getting guys crossed up, stuff like that, like, you know, breaking their ankles on a crossover or whatever, um, almost invariably on every single play, he has some level of separation uh, because of his routes and his ball skills are are, are really, really good. Um, I, I would say elite, um, but the only issue is, is he has more concentration drops than I would like. Um, I, the, the way that I put it when I, I talk about him, like other th- is like, if, if, if it was just his 10 best catches, you know, like if, if you just did like the, the past, like three receiver classes and it's just their 10 best catches, uh, Rashad Bateman is probably number one. He, he has catches that seem impossible, um, you know, in terms of like running full speed and, snatching the ball out of midair with one effing hand and continuing to run. Like you don't see that where he just like stabs it, like with his like talons out of the air, you know, like a, like a Falcon coming down, a fish jumps out of the way, just snatches it. Um, like you, and then flies back up into the, like th- that's what you see with bait. You don't see that with other kids, you know, because th- there's like a fluid, but, but uh, um, you know, e- even though he has like the, the, the sort of vice grip hands or, or, you know, super glue hands or whatever metaphor you want to use, like, um, he, he suffers from too many drops. Um, there's instances where, where, I mean, anyone, you know, the ball's in his bread basket, but he's like looking up field or whatever, uh, concentration things or being preoccupied with other things uh, that he shouldn't be. And again, these are isolated things, um, but it's something you have to bring up because he has to correct those, those things. Um, because outside of that, like, you know, again, like always open and, you know, his hands are really, really good um, as long as, you know, starts catching every single one. But, but I should say too, like, you know, I, I, I bring that up. Um, th- there's prospects where their, uh, their issues with this are, are sort of pronounced that it's concerning. Um, and Hakeem Butler is, 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 is one for instance, where there was a lot of concentration drop, but that in that case, it was more, and I probably should have been more concerned about it. And, and the caveat I want to give to what I just said, because sometimes you lose, lose the forest from the trees when you talk about stuff like this, because things become analogous or whatever. Bateman's, Bateman's uh, issues with concentration drops are not disqualifying. Um, they're, they're not nearly as acute <clears throat> as, for instance, a guy like Butler or some of those other guys we've, we've seen that have had uh, a, a similar issue. It, it's just one of the, the – he doesn't have a ton of them in his, in his game that, you know, like they're, they're clear areas of emphasis to improve, uh, but that's one of them. Uh, the, the other one is like – um, you know, a physical player and, and, and he has plus uh, play strength and he's a very competitive player, too. And I think like, you know, sometimes downfield, um, you know, he, he can try to bowl through uh, defensive backs um, and, and stuff like that for the ball um, or, you know, hold them onto the ground for a split second and think he can get away with something, hold their jersey, you know, whatever, um, you know. But again, it, th- there's not a ton of th- that stuff. Th- that's just stuff that he can improve on. Uh, but as far as the other stuff, again, like straight X receiver, um, and and the beauty on the, a team like the Vikings is they can sort of define, defi- you know, uh, decide on their their offensive future uh, based on the the position things here. Uh, but also, like if they did decide to go uh, to to three wide receivers. Uh, you know, going forward, something they haven't done the past couple of years. But if they do that, um, the the one sort of beautiful thing for them is, as you guys know, both of the receivers they have right now are not only have not only proven to be studs in the slot, they've also beautifully proven to be slots on the outside. So, you know, in a very similar way to Rashawn Slater, uh, the Vikings, if they did decide we're, we want to go forward with a three wide receiver offense, um, you know, on 
the, the vast majority of our plays or whatever, they would have a ton of leeway here um, talking about the receiver class on who they wanted to take because they could go slot and keep the other two on, on, on the outside, or they could take a true X, for instance, like Bateman uh, and play one of the other guys in the slot. But the, the, the last point I'll make is the, the one reason that I, I wouldn't do that as the Vikings, you know, unless it would just became an insane value. It's just because you don't have that second round pick and their offensive line need, and they have an edge need too, you know, of course, uh, but the, the offensive line thing needing two of them, uh, and that's sort of being a tire fire right now. And then knowing how much that drops off, specifically at the tackle class, they're going to have to use one of those first. Well, in fact, they'll probably have to use their first pick because they don't have the, the, the their second one's not coming up till the third round. So, um, you know, that's why probably I would focus myself on offensive line, unless like a guy like Pitts uh, fell and you just didn't have a choice. Yeah, and I think you bring up uh, a great point there, right? Like, it's not to say that Rashad Bateman is a a bad fit for the Vikings. He's actually a great fit, but given positional need at offensive tackle and edge uh, and and where they kind of rank within this class uh, and given how deep the wide receiver class is, uh, it it may just be better for them to address those needs early and kind of tackle some wide receivers late. Um, So... Tyler, I'm going to toss it to you here. Who are some of those late round wide receivers? Um, well, uh, keep in mind, we are heading close to the end of the show, so we'll, we'll try and wrap it up here. But I do want to give you an opportunity to talk about some some late round wide receivers. Well, one of the interesting things about this class is there, there are a lot of guys you can get late. That, uh, But one of the things kind of Thor mentioned is they're whoever you take it, they're kind of going to be pigeonholed into one spot as you get to those late rounds. Jalen Darden out of North Texas, uh, he tested incredibly well. He's got some fantastic tape, really really big deep ball receiver, but he's he's 5'9". So he's probably going to be uh, pigeonholed in the slot at the next level, kind of like a deep ball specialist early on as he kind of grows and develops a route tree. Uh, Seth Williams, if you want a guy on the outside, he's kind of a wild card because his quarterback at Auburn is Bo Nix. Bo Nix, as uh, most of you know, it's just not it. He's, he's very bad at football. And Seth Williams that did flash a lot as kind of like that uh, big body receiver. He and J.C. Horn had a really fun battle this past year with the South Carolina Auburn film. Highly recommend you seek it out, boys, if you haven't. Uh, and then you talk about another slot guy who I really like, Shai Smith out of South Carolina. He had a fantastic senior bowl. He's just going to be a gritty receiver in the slot. He's going to get open. He's going to make the tough catches. Uh there's, there's just a lot of guys with a lot of different profiles you can take on that day three. Uh, and then even at, at, towards like the end of round three, you know, kind of depending on how the NFL views them. I, I think uh, I have a third round grade on him, but I don't think the NFL will. And Diane Brown, he's, he has been uh, getting more and more conversation as being like a, a f- maybe even late first round pick. I think that's too rich as far as me personally especially coming out of that offense in North Carolina where he basically ran three routes. Uh, Dwayne Eskridge, obviously, you guys know is my boy. I absolutely love his game, but he's also 23, and he's only played the position two years. It's kind of a little bit of a red flag. Uh, there's guys all across the board where hey, you can take one, and maybe, you know, I, I don't think it's likely, but Stephon Diggs went in probably now the third most rich receiver draft of all time in 2015, and this is more rich than last year, and that was better than 2015. There's guys to be had that can be day one contributors probably in round four and five. So if the Vikings want to find that wide receiver three with the other needs they have, they can wait on it and 
feel pretty comfortable that they can step in and make an immediate contribution. Ryan, any guys that, that you kind of like in, in those late rounds that Tyler didn't mention? Yeah, um, you know, one of the guys he didn't test nearly as well as his tape, you know, implies, but it's, I like Daz Newsom out of North Carolina, so Diane Brown's running mate. Um, and what I like about him is, uh, again, he, he can be a little bit of, you know, he's a slot guy likely in the NFL, but he does have that ability to, you know, run those reverses and do some of those gadget things that we, you know, kind of, miss in this offense we don't have a lot of that in this offense but and then another huge thing again when you're talking about a guy likely going in the fifth or later maybe is uh he provides punt return ability so it's something that we have a huge gap on this team right now and kick return punt return he he's an excellent punt returner ran one back actually last year um and yeah so i i i like uh, daz newsome and um i i never know how to say this guy's name but the uh, main receiver out of illinois um tyler it matter big yeah. So again, another older prospect. Uh, I think he's like 23 um, as well. But again, he provides that uh, deep ball game and uh, provides that ability to kind of go up and snatch the ball. Um, not something necessarily that we're missing because, you know, just, Justin Jefferson showed he can do that. Um, Thielen makes tough catches all the time, but it provides you a little bit of a bigger body as well. Um, again, I don't think he's going to really provide much in the, um, the, the special teams. So I, I'd rather try to get somebody who can contribute in the special teams. So I do like, like Dwayne Eskridge, as Tyler had mentioned, because he provides that kick return, punt return ability, the gadget playability, and the big playability. Um, so that's what I'm personally looking for out of my wide receiver three right now. Um, but yeah, there, there's like Tyler said and, and Thor, I'm sure you agree. There's a lot of options here. Uh, a lot of, a lot of quality talent in this uh, receiver class. Yeah. And I feel like, uh, I, I would be remiss if I didn't give Thor an opportunity to also highlight some names here. Cause he only talked about Rashad Bateman, um, which I know many Viking fans would love, but, uh, wide receiver is, is one of the, most fun positions to probably scout um, and, and probably talk about because it's flashy. Fans love wide receivers. So Thor, if there's any names, I'll let you kind of take us home here. Uh, if there's any names we didn't talk about that, that you just have a crush on and you just have to get it off your chest. Uh, let's hear it. Yeah. You know, again, like from the Vikings perspective, one of the cool things is we know they're going to take a wide receiver. I'd be stunned if they, they didn't use at least one of their picks on a, on a receiver. And, you know, depending on philosophically, the, the decision they make on the offense going forward, vis-a-vis the, the 11 against 12, you know, regular personnel going forward, whatever um, they, they could potentially use one of the, their top couple picks on a receiver. If you want to go forward like that. And again, like because of, uh, you know, the, the skills of their other two guys where you have the versatility to go inside, outside uh, the, the, the game is open for the, for the Vikings. And in what's cool about that in, in this specific receiver class, uh, you guys have mentioned it like really, really deep uh, class. You know, it's, it's a really good class. Like le- th- this class, you know, la- and I love last year's class. You know, we, we were all talking about how that was one of the best we'd seen like in a really long time. Um, this one is definitely better at the top um, and, you know, probably through, uh, four tiers or so the other one might have been just a, a little bit deeper uh, but this one you know in in terms of like the middle tier and and the deep tier uh is is deeper than uh you know almost any other class you know you know outside of that 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 comparison or whatever um and so like you know for for, for the you know like when i'm on other you know like things where it's like uh, you know usually when it's a radio show or podcast it's like team specific when um 
you know, it's like we need a, a, a mid-round slot receiver because the other two spots are taken or, you know, it's it's the other way. We need an outside receiver in the, the second round or whatever. Uh, the, the cool thing, and I know I'm harping on this point again, but like for the Vikings, it's your it's choose your own adventure. And in a deep class, there are going to be guys that fall uh, again because like, you know, I mean, just in general, this happens all the time. But like even just think like case specific, um, you know, like uh, the thing of like being boxed into specific needs. Like if you only need a slot receiver uh, and you're sitting dead right on one, like early in day three, like you're not going to take a, a receiver, you know, outside receiver, whatever, like you're, you're going to take the, the, the more reliable slot guy. And this can also lead to, to players matriculating down the board. Uh, so I would keep my options open, you know, w- when I do take them, if I was the Vikings, you know, with, specifically with this position, um, one of the guys that I like is Nico Collins. Uh, from Michigan. Um, he, it, it's funny, like he was way more of a sleeper uh, a week ago than he is now. I, I think I rated him a wide receiver 11 or 12 um, when I put my, my receiver things out like uh, three weeks or a month ago. And I, I, I thought that I like Nico Collins more than, you know, the consensus or whatever. Uh, but like even uh, to me, um, he it, his uh, pro day performance was stunning. Uh, you know, he tested, I think it was 95th percentile plus. Um, and it, what what was not stunning, like really well built kid, um, and we knew he had deep speed. It, he's one of those long, you know. It's like for Vikings fans, they know exactly what we're talking. Like the long galloping speed, uh, where he chews up grasp. You know, again, like, I think I talked about this before, but it, you know, they they they're going faster than they actually look. That's like Nico Collins. He runs more like a horse with the the long strides, whatever. Um, but like he takes a few steps to to get going. But like his in his this stuff all played out in his testing. You know the the explosion, the uh, forty time, etc. The, the deep speed that we saw uh, in college, and he showed that at Michigan, even though he played with an abominable quarterback in, in Shea Patterson, who had all sorts of accuracy and c- couldn't even hit re- receivers at the at the combine against against air. Uh, but but anyway, like you know th- that led to some some issues for Collins. Uh, but like what we didn't see in college was like Collins doing stuff in the in the intermediate area as much, and he he would just disappear for like long stretches again. Like you know, part of it was with Harbaugh and their philosophy and a part of it was, was Patterson's accuracy issues, et cetera. Uh, but like the, the way that uh, Collins was, was typically employed was like that, that deep stuff. And I didn't think that he had the ability to change directions as crisply uh, as it turns out that he did, because uh, he, he had the third or the second best three cone. If you combine the last three receivers classes behind only Denzel Mims, uh, which again was, th- that was flat stunning. Uh, absolute that's one of the more stunning uh, official results of, of pro day season to me so far uh and so nico collins like th- there's very f- there's a lot of guys in this class so like you know they could maybe be a secondary receiver and there may be a slot you know something like that nico collins is one of the few guys and rashad bateman is another case where uh their upside is clear x number one uh, type receiver. If Nico Collins, like if that athleticism translates in the NFL, and there's reasons to explain why he didn't have uh, more catches and more production in college because he didn't play in, in, in 2020 with the opt out, and then Shea Patterson was a quarterback beforehand in a Harbaugh offense. Um, if 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 that athleticism that we saw, specifically the side to side, the agility, um, because the, the don't count the speed twice. We already know. No, he had that the deep speed, and of course his frame, whatever. Uh, but if 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 the other stuff, the change of direction ability, if that translates uh, into route running in the intermediate area, um, that kid could absolutely be a steal because he he could become in a number one outside NFL uh, receiver, and he's absolutely going to be available on on day two. And we'll see. He might even you know fall into to day three despite his his test because his his, his tape is sort of spotty. 
Um, so, so that's another guy that I would look at. I, I, I like uh, Darden as well. Um, T- Tyler brought him up, so I probably don't need to talk about him. But, um, you know, he works too. And then Seth Williams, you know, like another guy that, that tested better than I thought he would. Uh, the Auburn receivers, uh, Tyler was sort of uh, touched on this for a little bit, uh, but like the, the Auburn receivers, uh, him and Schwartz are, are two of the harder uh, receivers to sort of exactly pin your finger on in this class because their their quarterback accuracy was so bad. Uh, Bonex, um, who is who's the new Shea Patterson, you know, or Bo Wallace, if, 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 if you're an older uh, college football fan. Bo Wallace. Uh, Bow, yeah, and you got the ball, the ball, you know, as you see, like the Dr. Ball thing, bring it back. But like, yeah, uh, Nix's accuracy is, is, is not good. And like with Schwartz, is, is just a, Schwartz is going to be one of the fastest players in the NFL and may be the fastest from the second he walks on to the, the field. Like it's, he has Olympic level speed, but it's also like top of Olympic level speed, uh, world class speed. But like, it's, you you know, a term that's used too much for Schwartz actually has it. But like, uh, you know, Williams is more the, the true outside guy. Um, you know, the, the bigger guy and, and the, the more muscular guy, whereas Schwartz is the long guy. But, like, neither of them, Bo Nix, used to their uh, full potential. They had yards left on the field all the time. Um, so, so those guys are difficult. But, like, what I will say is I, I was lower on uh, Williams than than others, but I, I did not believe that he was quite as athletic as as he showed to be. He, he, he's definitely not, like, in the, the Nico Collins uh, type area. But, like, uh, I, I thought that there was more issues with, like, separation and stuff like that, uh, guys getting stuck to him. Uh, but again, like sometimes it's hard, like you watch a prospect to their quarterback, their accuracy is just horrible. Um, you know, it's, it, you know, to parse some of that stuff. I didn't, I didn't think he was quite as good of an athlete as he, as he ended up showing. So for me, I have to bake that in, you know, just intellectual honesty. Like um, I, you know, you, you bake that. So he's going to move up a little bit for me. I don't know how far he's going to fall, but um, Nico Collins would probably be my guy. Jonathan Adams is, is one other guy I'll, I'll toss out that I like a lot. Um, he tested better as well than I thought he would. Arkansas State kid. Um, and his ball skills are insane. So it, you know, another one to keep your eye on. I, I'm going to have to go back and rewatch this this episode just so I can write these names down and watch them. Um, I hate that we are out of time because I could sit here and listen to you guys talk about these draft guys. Um, I think it's it's one of the the best times of the year uh, for the NFL and, and for college football. Uh, so I, I, I just want to kind of end it here and, and let Thor kind of give a plug to what he's working on uh, and then we'll wrap up. But uh, I know Thor, you, you have some writings or you write up some stuff for NBC edge. Um, your latest one being your interior offensive line rankings. What are you working on right now? And when can, when can viewers expect to see that? Yeah. So the, the next one will be my linebacker rankings. They'll be out next week. And, you know, I'm just going position by position and working towards uh, my 500 player big board at the end, you know, like uh, it was sort of the culmination of my, my ranking series. And then I do 500 player comps with that. So that that's my favorite thing to put out every year. Cause you know, you go into the work of like having to parse that board. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's what we're doing now. Um, and I'll have some mock drafts coming up um, now that the dust is cleared with free agency um, and I'll be done with my uh my deep dive in all these positions uh thankfully soon because it's it's just, it's a lot of work going into <laughs> to get that deep but um you know, so, so that's going to be coming up and then you guys can so you know nbc sports edge the nfl draft section uh and then you can find me on twitter at thorku uh t-h-o-r-k-u fantastic um ryan tyler thank you for hopping on thor in the midst of probably the busiest times of year for you 
thank you for taking the time to, to hop on this show and, and making it work. Um, I want to have a beer with all of you once restrictions are lifted, since we're all, all here in the cities. Um, and for our viewers, thank you for, for stopping by. And if you're listening, uh, I hope you enjoyed the show. Make sure you tune in next week, next Wednesday night at 8 p.m. We're back on our normal night. We will have Daniel House from Viking Corner and Gopher Guru on to talk about Gopher prospects for the NFL draft, as well as Vikings free agency, etc., whatever kind of comes up. So, uh, again, thanks, guys, and we'll see you all next week. Skull Vikes. Thank you for watching or listening. As always, if you like, subscribe, and ring the bell for notifications. And if you're listening to the podcast, please rate us on your favorite aggregator. Skull, everybody. Skull, everybody.